Hey, hello, what's up, and welcome into this week's episode of Geek Garage Goes to the Movies. I am your co-host, Ted, joined as always by David. Hello, David. Hey, Ted, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, I am very excited. I know I say that every week, every episode, but this time it is especially true because we are covering maybe my all-time favorite movie, John Carpenter's The Thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, normally, yeah. Ted is just joking and he's humoring me. He, he isn't actually excited. He just wants to kind of blow smoke and make me feel like he's actually excited. But it's for real this time. <laughs> yes. This is the first time I've been excited in 35 years. So um, very excited legitimately to talk about this. We talked about this a bit on actually, I think the last couple of podcasts we mentioned, uh, we mentioned that was coming up on the last episode right? Uh, that we did, which was Joker, I yep. think. And then we definitely covered it on the practical effects. Yeah. Yeah. We had a little bit of a segment on it. Um, I, I don't know. This just. We'll get into it, but man, this movie fucking rules. There's just not really any two ways about it. Uh, before we get to that, a couple of quick things to go over. First, a reminder that we will be at GalaxyCon in November in Louisville, Kentucky. That is November 22nd through the 24th. Yeah, represent. Woo woo. Uh, we will be in the artist slash vendor slash uh, merch alley. I- I'm not exactly sure what it's called, but once it's- you get there... I think it's just one big room, basically. Like, there's there's I, so much stuff that happens there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're like the uh, a lot of the uh, the celebrities and stuff that make are making appearances. They'll be in there as well. So okay, um, well, that's- we'll see. Um, I'm sure they'll have like maps and floor plans and all that kind of good shit once you get there. Yeah. We're in stall K10. I think is is that what the email said, David? Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, K10. K-10. Um, there's a couple of weeks or a couple of episodes that we're going to do before that, of course. So if we're wrong and there's a good chance we are, we'll definitely uh, correct that, but come say what's up. We'll have, uh, stuff to give away yes. and, uh, you cool know, high fives, buttons. high fives to give. Yes. Yes. Do the kids still say swag? I, I don't know. I'm old. Uh, I mean, I wasn't aware that it was, it went out of style, but then again, like I am, incredibly incorrect on everything that goes or comes into style. So mm. I don't know. Mm. I, I use it. And if people don't know what the hell I'm talking about, then, you know, I, I can use that opportunity to one, feel old and two, you know, educate myself on what the kids are saying nowadays. So that's true. That's true. Uh, anyway, we'll have stuff to give out. We have uh, a couple of different ideas we're kicking around. We're actually, I think going to do, um, an on the road to galaxy con podcast, so to speak, or a final preparation podcast for yeah. it that will cover in detail, kind of the plan uh, for the weekend, some stuff that we're going to be doing. That's pretty cool. If I do say so myself, yes. uh, as well as, you know, we'll finalize definitely what our location is that is coming up again. That is November 22nd through 24th in Louisville, Kentucky at the, I think it's the international convention center or, or yeah, something. That, it's downtown. Right. You could just Google galaxy con Louisville and it'll pop up. Uh, additionally, as always, spoiler alert for this movie that we're going to cover, John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, although if you haven't seen it by now, you should feel a deep, deep shame because your family is disappointed in you. But more importantly, I'm disappointed in you. And you should rectify having not seen it as yeah, soon as Yeah, don't possible. disappoint Ted. He's done nothing to hurt, hurt no. you or your family. So go see The Thing if you haven't. Yet. Right. Yet. But I will, in fact, hurt your feelings. Probably before the podcast is over. I mean, if it hasn't happened already, he's hurt my feelings plenty of times. Yeah. Anyway, so spoiler alert, like I said, um, 
I'm ready to get this going. David, are you ready to get this going? I'm ready to get this Doesn't going. Doesn't actually matter. Hit the music. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. my assumption that you're you're a fan of this film right yes okay yes a little bit i feel like i've mentioned that probably 400 times right yeah i i think it's been brought up once or twice uh yeah so yeah i of course i finally got a chance to sit down with this movie i wasn't avoiding it for any reason at all i just it just didn't happen for for whatever reason so you know i've when I uh, finally got a chance to see it, I <clears throat> was basically blown away. My overall thoughts and feelings were like, holy fuck, this is one powerhouse of a 80s horror film with lots of gnarly practical effects. And uh, we said, I think it was the Joker episode, uh, I mentioned something about how we didn't <laughs> talk nearly enough about the thing when when we went over like different horror films that implemented practical effects and we kind of figured like hey let's take this episode to talk about the practical effects and in uh more extensively and um as well as the other cool shit about this movie so um and there's a lot of cool shit about this movie there yeah uh, there, there really is, and now I get to kick myself in my own ass for not watching it sooner. Yeah. So, do you, uh, you, you want to start off with going over the story and plot? Yeah. So it's actually, it, it's kind of a simple story, and simple is not a bad thing. You know, it's just not there's, there's not ten thousand extra unnecessary things going on. It's a very straightforward story. Um, yeah, it's a, it's one of those uh, horror films where like less is more, and and it really kind of banks on that that idea and you know right it it doesn't have a lot of exposition now you know all movies have exposition and not all exposition is created equal so it has some um but it's always done in a way that it doesn't like beat you over the head with it it's it's very well done and it's very right it's also it very important flows naturally yeah it, exactly it flows kind of naturally within the context of like whatever conversation is going on because the characters all, all the american researchers in this base, like they're just as lost as we, the viewer, you know, are. Right. Yeah. Um, essentially it starts out and it shows what appears to be like a flying saucer crash landing on the planet earth. Um, mm -hmm. the date is not mentioned, but it's presumed, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, which is later mentioned, um, in one of the exposition dumps. And essentially it's just like a shape shifting creature that takes over a host and then makes a perfect copy of that host um, that has basically been, um, woken up, I guess, from the ice, awoken from the ice. Yes. Uh, and then shit gets real. Yes. It's, um, it's a weirdly coincidental, this is kind of weirdly coincidental that the movie, um, if you look at it a certain way, it could be like a parable about AIDS, um, where it's an infection that's not readily apparent. So like, with AIDS, just looking at someone, unless they're super advanced at the HIV stage, like you wouldn't know that they had it. 
Um, and then it'll eventually kill the host. So the thing also does that. It takes over and you wouldn't necessarily know looking at it that it's a copy and it's actually the thing posing at him before, uh, before killing them. Um, however, this is based on a novel from like well before the AIDS crisis. It, it is kind of like striking the similarities though. The, keep in mind, this movie came out in 1982 um, sort of as that was taking off and was like really gripping, like had fear gripping people um, in the U S about it. It's just kind of one of those weird coincidences, but right. it, again, the movie is definitely not a parable about that. It's just something, something kind of interesting, I guess. Yeah. Um, there's also a lot of really good foreshadowing. Carpenter is a fucking master. I will die on this hill. He's, he's so underrated as a director, um, but there's a lot of great foreshadowing and there's just a lot of great moments that the first time you view it, you're like, what, what, why the fuck? That makes no sense. For example, there's a scene where um, Nalls, one of the characters comes in and he's, he's yelling at the rest of the guys. Like who threw their fucking underwear in my kitchen trash? Like, why the fuck would you right. do that? And at first it's just like, okay, that's just kind of a weird, why would anybody do that? That's gross. That's weird. Like it doesn't make any sense. And then you find out later, like that's one of the ways that the thing attacks and kills a potential host. It's like it, it, it enters in and destroys their clothing. It's just oh, one yeah, of those things right. where it's like, you see it a second or a third time. You're like, Oh my God, this fucking guy, this genius motherfucker <laughs> right here. Um, but yeah, uh, I definitely agree. This is this movie doesn't hold your hand. It doesn't really need to. Like I said, it's not like super right. complex. It does have that mystery element of like, who is the thing? Is this person the thing? Is this person a human? But it's not like, it's not trying to fool you necessarily, right? right? Um, or there's not like a twist, but it does a really good job of like presenting itself and being very very i guess followable which isn't really a word i don't think but you know it doesn't it doesn't dump everything and hold your hand and lead you to it there's a lot of mystery about it which is what really seals the, one of the things that really seals yeah, the deal yeah yeah i i definitely agree with that it's you know it just everything that you mentioned that it's it's not very exposition exposition heavy it doesn't hold your hand it's it's a very stripped down and minimalistic type of you know horror film and it's uh, I I think that uh, that adds to the overall uh, quality of the film. I mean, it, just all those things combined, like we're not even really accounting for like the characters and like specific events and you know practical effects we'll yet. And you we'll know, we're, we're just considering you know the the story and plot and, and you know a few other things. And yeah, oh for sure. Um, so yeah, sure. I I definitely agree with with you on there. Mm. speaking of the characters this is one of the few movies where horror movies i should say where the characters like make good decisions or what would be considered <laughs> rational decisions based on the information available right right like that's, that's like the that's i think that's like the first thing i texted you as i was watching this because i decided to watch it and uh you you were not here uh obviously but you know, I was, I was texting you intermittently throughout. And I think that was one of the first things I texted. I was like, I, so I don't really understand what's going on here, but these characters are making rational decisions. Like the dude that they found or followed into, uh, or like outside in, in the middle of the snow, like they just torched that motherfucker, like without uh, a, a second thought. I was well, like, yeah, well, they, they did they, that shit. They catch him, you know, like mid 
they catch the thing like mid transformation, basically. Right. And rather but than you, fuck around, they're just like, nope, this guy's got to go. Um, right. Because, you know, in like some other horror movie, uh, I mean, I don't want to point fingers at like a specific uh, horror movie or time period as far as like classic or contemporary, but just you, we've all seen the films where like some fucker thinks that they're still savable and like a hand is fucking growing out of their throat. That's and like one of my biggest pet peeves with zombie films or zombie television shows, which shall remain nameless, but are terrible and overrated. It's just yes. like, no man, their fucking arm is missing. Okay. <laughs> they're gone. Right. Their face is falling off. It's, it's over. It's done, son. But they're still just like, they do the thing. Like, I love them. Or that's my friend. No, motherfucker. That person is going to eat your face and I'm right. going to laugh because you deserve it. Yes. And, and they all act like, uh, I guess, quote unquote adults in, in that manner. Like they, they all make, yeah. like you said, make good decisions. I mean, you can, for the most it's part. easy. It's easy for the viewer particularly on like repeat viewings to be like, don't do that shit. That's a bad idea. Right. But if you, if you really take a second and I guess, think about it, put yourself in that character's shoes. Like think about how fucking terrifying it must be to be stranded in Antarctica with no ability to reach anyone. And you have a literal shape-shifting alien creature hiding amongst you. And you can't, you like, you don't know how to suss it out. Right. So you're just like, Oh fuck. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I, I don't, from that perspective, Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, uh, I, I was just going to say, like, I don't think I would fault anyone in this movie for acting or reacting the way that they they did to to certain events. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I mean, especially in the beginning when they're still, like, trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Because, like, I can imagine they're already on edge being in fucking Antarctica, uh, you know, just being so isolated and surrounded by, like, nothing but snow and just ice and cold 100% of the time. And, you know, they're all drinking J and B. And so, yeah, like they're already on edge. An interesting thing about the movie with regards to the characters is that it doesn't give you a lot of backstory. So it's not just like this person was born here and then they did this and then they did that. It's just like, they are who they are. And some of them are kind of, caricature-esque i guess so that's one of the kind of one of the faults of the movie is that not all of the characters are really fleshed out some of them you're just kind of like okay that's a body right you know what i mean um but the flip side of that is it kind of works because since some of them are pretty i guess like archetypical characters you immediately like have a familiarity with them so like you have um Childs, who is um, like one of the bigger physically uh, people. So he's not not a bully necessarily, but like he also um, doesn't back down and is like got a little right. bit of a temper. And like everybody yeah. knows somebody like that. You know what I mean? So the characters are like easily recognizable as for the most part, right. like real people. Yeah, they're either relatable to um, yeah, they're either relatable to you personally or to someone that you've met before, like either gone to school with or mm-hmm. you know f- friends of a friend with, and or you know you were friends with. Um, so yeah, that's um, kind of like um, like everyman yeah. in, in a sense. The other interesting thing is like you don't know why they're all together. But they each each of them has like a specific role, right? Like there's the doctor and the cook 
and the helicopter pilot McCready, which I, I want to do a bit of a deeper dive mm-hmm. on played by Kurt Russell, but like they all have roles. So there's not these extraneous characters where you're just like, well, why is that person there? Like everybody in the movie has a role. Everybody in the movie has a purpose. Um, McCready is a phenomenal character. Yes. Again, that's Kurt, Kurt Russell. Just because of the so hair and beard alone. He's the helicopter pilot. That is not hurting the situation. You are correct. Um, he does have pretty glorious hair, facial hair, and, yes. and just regular hair. I am jealous. Show. As a bald man, Goals. I am Goals. I am jealous. As fuck. Yeah. It apparently took him a year to grow that, and I'm just like, I could do that, so I'm going to try that. I'm not going to do that. I'll, I'll get bored with that in like a week and a half and, and be yeah. like, cut my fucking hair off. Uh, but anyway, he's a great character. He's a helicopter pilot. It's kind of hinted at that he's maybe like a Vietnam veteran. That would explain a lot. Like he was disillusioned from the war. So he just like got away from everything basically yeah. and, and went to Antarctica on this. Um, in, an, in an earlier version of the script that was made more explicit. Like that was explicitly mentioned in, in the finished script and in the film. It's sort of just hinted at like he's got the hmm. olive drab jacket and some other things. Um, but it does explain like his familiarity with firearms, um, his ability to pilot a helicopter. Um and he has no desire to be a leader, but he gets thrust into that role or I guess more so takes on that role because it's offered to someone else. And they're like, no, nah, man, I'm not up for it. And then um, Keith David's character is like, I'll do it. And he's just like, <laughs> in one of the better lines, he's like, I think everybody would be more comfortable right, if we had yeah. somebody with a little more even temper. Um, but there's another great bit of foreshadowing where in the beginning of the film, Mac is drinking J and B and playing like a a computer chess game and he ends up losing and instead of just like taking the loss he opens up the computer panel and pours (laughs) the whiskey the scotch into the into it and he's just like you cheating bitch and just goes about it and this is and you're thinking like how's that foreshadowing because it shows his willingness to just say fuck it Mm -hmm. and burn it all down just abandon the rules which serves him really well as all the rules they think they know are changed because they're dealing with this literal shape-shifting alien. And so he just says, fuck it, and burns it down. Like, literally starts setting fires and, and killing this creature with fire. Just right. completely negates the rules. Um, which I thought was a really brilliant little piece of writing for his character. Just this throwaway scene where, at first at first blush, just kind of, it's just kind of comical. He's just like, you fucking piece of shit. You know, you're just like, that's just, it's just funny. Like that. She's just, right. you know, he's the smart ass character or whatever. And then you start to really think about it. And you're like, Oh fuck. You know, that's who he is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It totally makes sense in the, in the scope of uh, his character in the, the, the grand scheme of things and how his character, you know, ends up at, at the end of the movie. Um, so yeah, it totally makes sense to throw in those little things there. David, I know you mentioned practical effects, uh, a little bit ago. Do you want to talk about those and kind of mention what your favorite scenes yeah, were with sure. those? Uh, so I, I mean, so just, just to, you know, put this out there, all the practical effects in this film are fucking phenomenal. Like every single one of them. I, uh, there wasn't one that I disliked. Uh, there were uh, a few moments where I, uh, that I thought were kind of cheesy a little bit, but like for the most part, this was, like fantastic uh, usage and implementation of practical effects in a time where 
people like they going in, they knew what they wanted to do in this movie, but they had no earthly fucking idea how they were going to accomplish it. So they just like started filming and they're like, well, um, I guess we'll you know, just kind of tinker with shit until, you know, stuff starts working the way that it needs to. Um, so that's, that's kind of what, you know, one of the things that I love most about this movie, but anyways, so, uh, a couple of the the scenes that I I really like involving you know special effects are the the blood test scene is is probably my favorite um, and I'll I'll come back to that yeah. uh, the autopsy scene uh, with uh, that was um, I I think I'm confusing. There, yeah, there are the, several so autopsies. I, I know, so yeah. I know that there's the autopsy scene, which is kind of like the the first one of the first ones where they like they bring in the one of the bodies, uh, I think, or the the original body that they they found, right? And and then there was the first one is on the dog. Yeah, I think. yeah. They when they looked and saw that it was like still in the middle of its uh, transformation or, or morphine mm-hmm. or, or whatever they called it. And, and then there was the other one where they're trying to revive, uh, what's that character's name? Do you remember the, with the, um, but it's, it's the, yeah, he's, he's the only, or one of the few that like dies from, not from the thing. Like he, he just gets a heart attack. Right. Well, so that's, that's interesting because. He's the same character earlier as like, I'm not up to it. And is shown kind of like out of breath. It, it's sort of, I guess, up for interpretation how he dies. So there's one school of thought where it's like the thing tries to take him over. He has a heart attack mm. because he's got a heart condition okay. and he, he dies before the thing can fully assimilate. Another school of thought is that the thing fears getting found out. And so he fakes hmm. dying because it wouldn't, it wouldn't know like about resuscitation. So it would, it would not yeah. see that coming, so to speak. Um, and then when he realizes, or when it realizes like, Oh, I'm fucked. It, it has to make yeah. a, it has to make I, a move. Uh, uh, and then, so the, you know, the, the autopsy scene, that was really good. And then the, the, the scene that we we're just referencing, I guess, if you want to call that, it's not really an autopsy scene. It's when they, you know, try and resuscitate him. They get the, the paddles out, put him mm-hmm. to the chest and the chest opens up and fucking bites the dudes. Dude, bites so good. And, off, uh, yeah. uh, so that, and yeah. then the dog cage, uh, scene towards the beginning, um, where you that's the, pretty much the first time you see like the thing and the the dog's face opening up which i thought was fucking fantastic so i i think the thing that i dislike the most about horror movies like old new contemporary classic doesn't matter is jump scares like i think they're fucking cheap and i hate them uh but well, it's not it's not scary it's just surprising right yeah it's it like I mean, if if you connect a quote unquote jump scare with like either visual or mental stimulation, that's, you know, also horrific, then that's, you know, that's another thing. But if, you know, you're just trying to get people to, you know, shit their pants, then that's not scary. That's just scare tactics, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's cheap and gimmicky, but like they actually use, you know, the, the jump scare, uh, 
uh, alongside, you know, the, the visual effects really well in these instances, you know, when the dog's face opens up, that's, that's a little bit softer of a jump scare. I mean, it is very surprising, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit softer uh, of a ease in compared to the others. I mean, you definitely don't see the fucking dude's chest opening up and, and chomping on dude's arms. Uh, and uh, regarding the blood test, like, I mean, that one is just a master of building suspense. And I mean, that is, yeah, that is my favorite scene in the film. And honestly, one of my favorite scenes in any film, just because it's like, I've seen this movie dozens of times. I've like I've just stopped counting. I've seen it so many times and I know what's going to happen every time and I'm still just like <laughs> on right. the edge. Just giving it, anxiety. It's just so well yeah, done. No, it's it's great. Right, it's just so well done. Yeah, and just from beginning to end, like it just it crescendos perfectly with I mean it, it's not like, you know, like I was just saying, not a cheap jump scare that that gets you and then the scene, you know, just ends like it it crescendos with like the, the dude's head, like basically blowing up. And then another, like, uh, like, uh, what is it? Like a Venus flytrap looking thing comes out and like, uh, a little silly string, like grabs his head and pulls it, pulls him in. And then the Venus flytrap crushes his head and throws him up against the ceiling. And all this crazy shit happens. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? And that was like one of the second times I texted you. I was like, shit's getting real. Uh, yeah uh i just like i said it just builds so well right and it's it's not necessarily a surprise that they find out one of them is infected right i just love that scene where they actually the way they filmed it is like that's a prosthetic hand when they do the close-up shot and he does the he sticks the wire into the blood that's a prosthetic hand yeah and that that allowed them to run up like the the hose or whatever, so they could shoot the blood out as it, as it's the thing jumping out, you know, jumping out in pain. And the way they do the cuts here, where it's like the person who's infected starts like seizing basically. Mm -hmm. And it cuts back to the other people. And of course they're all tied down to this bench and they're freaking the fuck out. And then it cuts back to the person who's changing and their head is melting it's just like what the right. fuck, you know. It's just it's it's right. terrifying. And they they even have to like go outside, you know, torch some some people, and then come back inside. And then Palmer fucking has, uh, I believe that's the character's name. He has like the best line, maybe of the entire movie, but definitely of this whole scene, where he's uh-huh. like. You know, if if we're all done here, I appreciate it if you guys untie me so I don't have to spend the rest of my day tied to this fucking couch. Yeah, that's that's an all timer. Yeah, so, just so good, and I just scared the shit out of my dog. He's like, "Oh, I'm getting out of here." Our <laughs> Ar- uh ducking and running for cover. Poor doggy. I'm an asshole. Oh well. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's what I'm Oh, uh, do you have anything to add as far as like practical effects? I, that was mostly me just like gushing over the practical effects. We didn't really go over like, I mean, uh, with the exception of you talking about the prosthetic hand and, and all that. Um, I mean, I know that they used, uh, like animal organs, like real animal organs for the autopsy scene, like the, the, the first one. 
Um, when, you know, Doc was like digging around mm. in there, uh, apparently they actually, I, I can't remember who had the idea to do that, but yeah, they, apparently they ended up using real animal organs to, to pull out, which was a, a nice touch. Yeah, it definitely anytime, you know, anytime you can make your effect more believable. And in this case, I mean, they're right. literal organs, you know, it's just like, it's, it's really a funny, uh, a funny anecdote about that is that wilford brimley um who is the, the doctor and that's doing all these like digging mm-hmm. around in the autopsy and everything john carpenter approached him and was like you know are, are you okay with this and brimley grew up on a farm it's just like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it's I, cool whatever i don't care and everybody else meanwhile <laughs> is just like i'm gonna kill i'm gonna die i'm gonna literally puke my guts out and die and Wolf of just like, I'm going to go ahead and stick, uh, you know, elbow deep into this carcass. Right, yeah, this, I mean, just party. like it's it's something that he's done before, which uh, it sounds like he has. It is something that he's done before. I would assume growing up on a farm, you know, you probably get into some sick shit. Just, I mean, just by virtue of like having livestock or, you know, cleaning up after livestock. You know, I'm sure that you get into some some gross stuff. So I'm pretty sure he probably has a cast iron stomach. Also, like Wilford Brimley is a thousand years old in this movie, but he's really only like 40. It's insane. Yeah. (laughs) Wilford Brimley has been 10,000 years old since like 1975. I don't understand it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with the diabetes. Uh, uh, Possibly. His walrus face. (laughs) Well, I, well, I mean, like he, he does look, I guess, a little bit younger without facial hair because I don't think he has any facial hair in this movie. But I, I've only like a five. Yeah, I've shadow. only known him with the you know that big buffalo mustache, the walrus yeah. mustache. Um, um, the only thing I really have to add to the effects is this isn't an effect necessarily. It's just kind of a, uh, a scene, but the the scene where you you see the dog walking down the hallway, like kind of looking around, and at the time you don't realize that the dog is like infected. Um, you see it go into a room and there's a shadow on the wall of one of the, um, one of the people like one of the research members, but the shadow on the wall is not actually one of the cast members. It was done by like a random crew member so that, uh, it wouldn't be obvious who it was. And it just like let Carpenter keep the mystery alive as you find out, later that again the dog is not a dog it's the thing and now that person is infected it's just it's just none of those like great yeah i i learned about that and the uh the wilford brimley you know growing up on a farm and and only being the only actor that was truly 100 percent okay with you know the that gruesome scene and uh, the other scenes uh, from that documentary I was telling you about earlier. I, I forget exactly what it's called, but um, I just Googled it. And the first thing that came up was something on YouTube. And I thought maybe it was just a trailer. The, no, the whole documentary is on there, but it's, I mean, it's an older documentary. You could tell that it came out not too long after the actual movie came out. Uh, I, I'm willing to bet it, it's at least a few years after the movie came out. Um, I, I didn't look to see exactly what year it was, but you know, uh, uh, Kurt Russell, he looks a, a tad bit older and, um, John Carpenter, he doesn't look like beaten down and defeated, uh, because I know that this, uh, this film did not do well at the box office whatsoever. So it was a critical and commercial failure. 
Like this movie was called basically like gore pornography. Right. Yeah. People um, shit all over it. And uh, on top of like, you know, uh, being basically the, one of the top, um, budgeted movies of that time, especially in the horror genre, um, for, for that time period, like, wasn't it like 15, 14 or 15 million, uh, that, that he got for this movie? Um, I I don't know. I know that, um, it was a a large budget relatively speaking or comparatively speaking. Um, and it was a complete box office failure. I think a, a big, part of the reason why is because it opened after E.T. Right, yeah. And so people were just like, no, aliens are fun and friendly and light up fingers. They don't kill dogs and, you know, bite people's faces right. off. It also opened up the same um, day as Blade Runner, apparently. So Yeah. I mean, just think about that. That's fucking madness. It wasn't just, you know, people like shitting on the film. Like he had some competition around the same time. So, yeah, it, it was very apparent that you know people did not like this movie um uh, upon you know first watch or you know. yeah and it seems like uh carpenter took the failure for this kind of personally so if, if you listen to him in interviews like he seems to get really kind of somber about it mm-hmm. and i can understand why like he really you know like any artist really put it put his heart into this movie and put his soul into this movie and for people to be like like legitimately there were reviewers calling him a pornographer yeah of violence it's just like what a fucking stupid, stupid ass shitty thing. Fucking worthless, right. worthless thing to say. Um, I, I don't know. So it sucks. Like I said, Carpenter is, if we're going on times I've seen their films, John Carpenter is my number one and it's not close. Yeah. Like number one director. and It's not close. Like not even, there's not another director. It's with probably within a hundred viewings. Um, so it, you Do- know, I kind of take it personally too. Fuck, fuck. Right. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fuck them. Uh, do you know exactly what happened that made uh, audiences turn around uh, or, you know, turn a leaf or look at it differently? I mean, was it just the, the film aging a little bit and a- attracting a new, a newer audience like that, that could appreciate it or. Uh, I, I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, this is one of those movies that I it, probably cable had a lot to do with okay. it. As it got to a wider audience, people probably had more of an appreciation for it. Or maybe as horror movies became less like viewed as being less childish, I guess maybe it kind of got a, a reappraisal. I'm, I'm, I honestly don't know. Um, but every critic who panned it in the first place can probably just never have an opinion about it right. because they were terribly <laughs> wrong. Yeah. Yeah, um, they uh, they can go die in a fire. That's what, and that's that's my final answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, so it seems like we're pretty well in agreement that all the critics are trash and we hate them. Yeah, that includes Fuck. us somehow. Yeah. Um, none of that matters. So, do you want to uh, do you want to talk about the ending? Yeah, this is a hell of an ending. Yes, I I definitely agree with that. It's. <clears throat> probably one of my favorite things about this movie is, uh, well, I mean, I, I feel like I've said that several times already, but this really is probably one of my favorite endings in horror history. Uh, just the, the ambiguity uh, of it all is just, uh, I, I found it really cool and, and fascinating. 
Yeah, it's definitely presented as ambiguous in like the filming and the the like the narrative structure, but if you really like look at it, it, it it's 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 less ambiguous to me. Now maybe this is because I've seen it, like I said, probably thirty million times and have read a lot of Carpenter interviews or listened to a lot of Carpenter interviews where he's talked about it and a lot of people agree with you that it's kind of ambiguous and there's sort of like this I guess ongoing discussion you might say about uh is one of them a thing is is it Childs is it McCready um and there's kind of different right. like, fan theories I guess I know one of the ones that gets brought up a lot is like in, in viewing it you can see McCready's breath of course you know they're in Antarctica they're outside it's you know well below freezing so you can see his breath whereas when Childs is on screen you can't yes. see his breath and a lot of people have pointed to that and said, oh, well, he's a thing. Yeah. But that's more just like a trick of lighting. There's also the fact that I can't, I can't remember if we mentioned this earlier in the podcast or not, or if it was, or if this was something that we talked about um, off air or like in preparation where there was the lighting choice to have people who are human, their eyes, mm-hmm. like their eyes reflect light. Whereas people that are, well, not people, but characters that are, that have been taken over and are now things um, to have no light reflected. And I'm pretty sure that Childs is, um, like, I don't think you can see light reflected in his eyes. I can't remember off the top of my head and I feel like I should. Yeah, I I can't remember either, but I do know exactly what you're talking about. I, I know of that little trivia factoid because of the documentary I was watching and yeah they uh it was right the director of photography i believe who who made that choice to uh for the 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 non-humans to not have that that reflection or, or catch light uh is is what it's called in in photography terms or videography terms but uh, and and then all the humans would have the catch light and you can definitely see instances clear as mm-hmm. day in earlier scenes like especially the one that they pointed out was the, the, the chair scene where, or the, the blood test scene where everyone's in chairs and uh, what's his name that ends up, uh, you know, he starts convulsing and stuff. I, I can't remember that character's name, but you can clearly see like, if you go back and rewatch it or just that one scene, you can definitely see that he does not have the catch lights in his eyes. For sure. And it's a great little thing to, to like look for once you know to look for it. And that's, a, we yeah. kind of touched on this earlier, but like this movie is full of little things like that, where once you kind of know what's going on and you rewatch it, you're like, oh man, that's really interesting that, you know, like the catch lights is a perfect example. It's just like, that's such an interesting way of differentiating right, sure. between, you know, human and non in the film. Um, I know that, uh, Actually, <laughs> canonically, you know, like actually, uh, actually. So there was a sequel yes. uh, to the thing released as a video game, I don't know, probably like 15 or 20 years ago, not quite 20 years ago, 15, 15 to 18 years ago, um, where you are sent in as like a special forces right. rescue team to this Antarctic base where, you know, they've lost contact. Um, of course, at the end of the film, you know, Charles and McCready are sitting, talking to one another. And, and like we said, you know, they said, well, I don't think if we have any surprises for one another. I don't think we're really in any position to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to do anything about it. And they sort of just resign right. themselves to die 
so that you know the thing can't escape um anyway in, in the game that's a sequel you go as as part of this rescue team like i said and you end up finding mm-hmm. the body of childs who has died of you know hypothermia or exposure and then at the end of the game you're actually rescued by mccready so neither one of them is the thing at least sure. as far as that goes now whether or not that's actually like quote unquote canon in the eyes of you know john carpenter and and whoever else was involved in the making of the film obviously i can't say that with any certainty hmm. yeah I'd, to I'd my be understanding it's to, like the accepted uh, to go back and story read up on the video game because i barely remember it coming out and and i really didn't know about um the 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 tie-in with the film and uh, i honestly i forgot about its existence up until like you know, a couple hours before we started recording where I think you mentioned it and it might've been mentioned in that documentary, but yeah, I was, I was like, Oh, Oh yeah. There, there was a video game. I totally forgot about that. Um, so yeah, it, it would be interesting to go back and, and kind of see if there's any literature or, uh, documentation on the, uh, the video game and see how it ties into the film. And if, um, John Carpenter had a hand whatsoever in uh, the writing of that storyline, or if it was basically just, you know, the, the game makers kind of taking artistic liberty with, uh, with the, the writing of the storyline and, you know, the, the gameplay and all that. Right. For sure. Another interesting point uh, about the ending is that, well, a couple, there's a lot of interesting points about the ending, but one that kind of is another nail in the coffin against one of the two childs of mm-hmm. recruity being a thing is that the thing is not capable of replicating non-organic matter. So like it could, it can create a perfect copy of organic materials. So right. like a person, it can create a perfect copy of that or the dog, for example, but it can't do like glasses or an earring and child's of course has an earring um, that he still has in the final scene, which is just another thing where it's like, okay, that's actually child's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 definitely makes sense. I was uh, that wasn't really something that I thought of personally because I'm not a smart man, Jenny. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> it, it's uh, that's definitely a good point to make. And I did, wasn't that brought up in the film, or is that just like a little factoid that like super nerds of the film know? Do you remember? I don't think it's in the finished film. That might have been. Um a deleted scene or maybe something that was um, cut out of the script for brevity or, or something. Um, I don't think it's just one of those like fan things, like you said, where it's like super geeks get together and are like, well, you know, according to the laws of this universe, I don't think it's that kind of thing, but I I could be wrong. Yeah. Well, I mean, either way, I mean that like, that makes sense. Like, you know, it, the, how it basically replicated, you know, uh, things that you know are bio organic or whatever uh however you put it i i I forgot but yeah it it would make sense for it to be like hey i can't replicate an earring right and i mean it it kind of goes along with the 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 facts that like the creature doesn't know how to react so it just sort of mimics what the other characters are doing so it just kind of blends in it makes sense. So maybe it is one of those just like, according to the, like I said, yeah. the laws of this universe kind of thing, but <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. <laughs> it, it could very well be one of those. Well, actually, uh, or, you know, it, it could, you know, right, have some right. legitimate 
you know, backing to it. So, so do you have any, uh, any final thoughts? Uh, I fucking love this movie and I will thank you for recommending it several times and finally forcing me to watch it. Uh, I will most likely uh, view it again, probably soon, just so I can try and pick up on all the things that I missed the first time around. I was told that generally around Halloween time, like uh, Walmart will typically have like a a John Carpenter, uh, like three disc set of, you know, like a couple of his films, like the thing and Halloween and maybe something else, or maybe just those two on Blu-ray for like nine or 10 bucks. So I may try and go find that. That's a good, that's a good Friday night right there. Even if it's just those yeah. two. Yeah. That's, that's what's uh, what I'm going to try and do um, here soon is, is go find it. Cause I, I really don't feel like, I mean, it was like five bucks to rent it on Amazon and I really don't, I mean, if I spend another five bucks to rent it, like I might as well just, paid for the fucking movie so yeah i I, when i bought it on blu-ray i got it from amazon i think it was like 7.99 yeah so i mean it's definitely it's worth eight bucks yeah for sure uh yeah i mean even if it doesn't come along with anything else or uh you know whatever i'd I'd still very much like to own this one i'm not a huge like i don't want to say fan of owning horror movies because that's not accurate i just like the movies that i typically tend to like go by and and enjoy owning just aren't horror but i'm slowly getting to that point of wanting to own more horror movies especially uh, you know classic horror 80s horror you know uh, horror in that genre where it the the rewatchability is is more liquid you know it's it's there instead of like you know you watch it it fucking floors your ass and you're like, well, I'm never watching that piece of shit again. Or, you know, like it fucked me up for life. I, I definitely can't watch that anymore. Right. I mean, horror is one of the, it's one of the few genres where it's like, once you've watched it, like horror and mystery really are the two that stick out for this example is like, once you've watched it, it's kind of like a lot of the, I don't want to say the value of it, but a lot of that like initial sort of the mystique, yeah, what you want to get out of it is kind of gone. Right. Um, but I mean, with, with Carpenter's work, with all of his work, really, but particularly the thing, it's just like, it really rewards. There, there's just so much. Watches. Yeah, there, there's, sorry to interrupt. Um, there's uh, there's just so much to appreciate, like the practical effects and, you know, the acting wasn't. Cinematography. Yeah, the, uh, the acting wasn't terrible. The cinematography was great. Uh, you know, all those little things that you pointed out that, you know, Kurt Russell being majestic as fuck. That fucking beard and hair is just that mane. He's like a a lion yeah. mixed with a, a unicorn. It's, a, it's an all time yes. flex. All time right. flex. Like we we are truly not worthy. <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, what about you? You got any closing thoughts? Um, I mean, I can't. Like I said at the top and in the middle and at other parts and on the previous podcasts and in passing conversation. Like I just, I cannot say enough good right. things about this movie. Um, I it's, if it's not my all time favorite, it's definitely in the running. Um, it's just, it's so well done. It's just a masterwork right. of sci-fi horror. It's so good that the sequel slash reboot slash prequel just like was dead on arrival because people were like, mm, it's not as good. Right. It, and it will never it, be as this good. This was definitely one of those things where, I mean, 
you really couldn't make a case for a a reboot or sequel like i mean the 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 movies that like were kind of behind the time where in in terms of graphics and you're like oh yeah well i bet if they remade that today like it they could you know use some better graphics or better acting or whatever and make that movie that could have been really good back then great now but like the thing already had all those things going for it at the time so it to me it just like when i right I, like i remember the remake coming out and i was like wait wasn't this like a really popular 80s movie like why the fuck are they remaking it like what is there to improve upon right and one of the big one of the big knocks or a couple of the big knocks against that like it's 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 not really it's kind of a remake, but it's technically a prequel because it takes place in the Norwegian camp. But it's like, what else can you really do? Number one, that they didn't do in the original, which is technically a remake, but it's more true to the book than the original film. It's, it's complicated. It's very convoluted, but like, what else can you do in terms of story beats or like transformations that you haven't already done? Right. And then the second thing is, like you said, this is a movie that's very well respected and very well known for its use of practical effects to, you know, an amazing degree. So there was a lot of back and forth. So I think a lot of the crew on the reboot prequel wanted to use practical effects because, you know, that's what the, the Carpenter version did. And that's what's really popular with it. But you know, we covered this on the practical effects episode, like CGI is cheaper. You can do sort of, you could do more with it because like, it's just, it's only bound by imagination. Like it doesn't have to follow the laws of physics or whatever. Right. And some people push back on that and they were like, well, Mm -hmm. I mean, Carpenter's version with Rob Bottom's effects was like the shit and it's terrifying where it's just Mm -hmm. like, I know looking at this, like, Oh, this is just bad CGI in the dark, you know? So, um, I watched it once and it's not like it's a god awful dumpster fire of a movie, but it's just like doesn't hold a candle. Right, right. And I don't want to say like it's pointless because that's dumb and dismissive, but it's just like I don't understand aside from I mean I, I know why it was made money, right? right. But it, it just doesn't hold a candle and to me it's like not worth I was going to say it's not worth viewing, which I I disagree with, but like watch it and think for yourself and make your own formulate your own opinions and all that. But like you said, it does not hold a candle to Carpenter's in yeah. any capacity. Yeah. I, I definitely, well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I agree because I haven't seen it yet. Um, I, I may eventually get to it. Maybe I'll like do a back to back viewing of, uh, of that. Maybe, maybe I'll watch that. And if it's technically considered a prequel, I can watch it and then watch the original. Um, so I might might end up doing that. Yeah, I mean, it literally, like, I think it ends literally where the 82 version begins with them chasing the dog in a helicopter. Hmm. Okay, well, yeah, maybe I'll do that then. I mean, I'm, like, I'm interested to see it, but, you know, I, I just from what you've said and what I've read, it's just, you know, the, the John Carpenter version is, is the way to go. For sure. So... But yeah, if you don't have any more closing thoughts, we do you want to get on with the uh, the fuck? What's it called? Quick the hits. quick hits. Yes, the news you can use that yes. will be out of date by the time you listen to this podcast. Yes, it's a very snappy subtitle. Yes, thank you. I'm very <laughs> uh, well, not proud exactly, but you know, 
Anyway, uh, first things first, David Cronenberg, uh, director of The Fly and Scanners and person that we discussed quite heavily on our Practical Effects episode, mm-hmm. is going to write and direct a Netflix miniseries based on his novel, Consumed. And raise your hand if you're excited. Yeah, I have uh, not read Consumed, but it's David Cronenberg, which means it's amazing. Right. That's just how it works. I don't make the rules. Um, <laughs> yeah, just by so default. Very, very excited for that, especially since Cronenberg, you know, he's an older gentleman, so he doesn't work. He hasn't worked a lot um, lately. So I'm very, very, very excited for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hopefully he'll, you know, come out of retirement like, um, you know, a, a well-seasoned ice hockey player uh, and not like someone else just kind of fall flat. So yeah, hopefully whatever he, uh, whatever he does with this will be, will be great. Yes. That was announced uh, last Friday, I think, or last Thursday. Um, Next up we have Nicholas winding Ruffin is going to be creating and um, I guess show running slash directing, or uh, he's involved in some capacity in a maniac cop reboot for HBO. Uh, Maniac Cop, of course, was a character, uh, it was a movie from the 80s, uh, slasher film style movie with a part played by Bruce Campbell. But uh, I'm kind of, I'm interested to see what direction they take this. It's going to be a series, so I don't know if it's going to be like an ongoing series or like a limited series like sure. Too Old to Die Young was. I'm, I'm just interested because I'm interested in seeing his take on horror. Of course, he did uh, Neon Demon, which was a right. horror movie in a lot of ways, but um, this is a yeah. different sort of horror um, so I'm kind of just interested in his take. He's really, really good at aesthetic choices and, and things like that. He's really, really bad about knowing when to calm the fuck yeah. down and just tell a story. Right. No, and I, I say that as I a fan. Pretty much agree with that. I, I feel like he's really good at building suspense, maybe a little too good and self-gratifying, but for the most part, I feel like he's, you know, the, the suspense that he's able to build especially with dialogue driven scenes, which, you know, are scenes in a lot of his movies um, and show like, I mean, when we watched the first episode of too old to die young uh, and we were like, Holy shit. Like how long has this poor girl been pulled over by these two pervert cops? Uh, And they're just like dragging it out. Yeah. That that was like a five yeah. I was just scene, like, and it felt shit, like about like, five hours. I, I mean, uh, my stomach was just turning inside out trying to figure out what the hell was going to happen because there was just so much tension being built. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm definitely interested to see what he ends up doing with you know a uh, a true you know horror um, you know piece. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see him work like in a definite genre environment. So I'm, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I had a couple things. Uh, so it was announced today that uh, Zoe Kravitz was going to be Catwoman. Um, we still really don't know too much about this The Batman movie. I believe it's prefixed with the word the uh, to be The Batman. Yeah, I think that's. The, I think it is The Batman as the yeah. title. Uh, so really all we know is is casting basically for, for this movie so far. Just uh, Robert Pattinson set to play Bruce Wayne slash Batman and Zoe Kravitz uh, cast to play Catwoman. And there has been talks about Jonah Hill playing the villain, but it's really nothing set in stone. It's just kind of like rumors as uh, at this point. So right. uh, 
yeah, uh, there's there's really not much to to go on other than that. Yeah, yeah. One of the big rumors surrounding this movie is that it's supposed to be based on the long Halloween story arc, which I'm a hundred million percent on board with. That's like probably really? my favorite Batman story arc. Okay. Yeah. Um, which is sort of the pseudo sequel to year one, um, which is also a very good story. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited. One of the reasons I like the long Halloween so much is it features so okay. much of his Rose gallery because it takes place over the course of like a year. Um, so each of his, not not every single villain, of course, because that would be madness. But a lot of the major villains uh, from his rogues gallery have have a piece in that. So it seems like it would be really hard to do that as a cohesive like two hour movie. But I would I'd be down. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, and I'd, I know I'd be like down to see it. so far since the casting is really all we have to go off of uh, right now. You know, the, there's definitely been some backlash as far as the casting of Robert Pattinson. But I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm trying to keep an open mind like I did and like a lot of other people did with you know Heath Ledger and uh, and then the casting of Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. And, you know, uh, we saw how that all panned out, you know, pretty well for the most part. So, you know, I'm trying to keep an open mind. And plus, it looks like he's trying to bring it in the lighthouse. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm very excited for the lighthouse that opens up here here um, this Friday, right. I think. Yeah, and so then, hopefully, uh, wider release you know. next Friday. So yeah, I mean, he's he's right. a really good actor. Um, he gets a lot of shit for Twilight, and I mean, deservedly because yeah, Twilight. You know, what, what can you say that right. hasn't already been said about that? But I mean, he's a very talented actor. So just based on the casting of him um, and Zoe Kravitz, I'm I'm in. Yeah, at this point. Yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's a very youthful cast uh, honestly it's I, I don't think there's been a batman this young uh, i mean like christian bale was like in his early 30s i think when he I, I think he's about the same age as pattinson is now oh yeah okay yeah uh, um i just think pattinson looks much sure. younger than bale did like he's, he's got a boyish face and that's, that's no. on a knock, you know, he just, yeah, looks yeah, beautiful. for sure. Yeah. But I mean, either way I'm, I'm interested, but, um, moving on. Um, so, uh, a few other things, uh, Disney plus today released, uh, or I guess Disney released the basically entire film selection of Disney plus once it, la- once it launches next month. And it's, uh, extensive in, in a single word. It's basically everything that Disney's ever done essentially. Uh, but one thing I wanted to note was that it was announced Gargoyles was going to be amongst all that shit that's going to be released on day one. And I was a pretty big fan of the show growing up. Um, it was pretty dark and I loved it for it. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to have the ability to rewatch this show. Uh, Ted, I, I don't know if you ever watched this when, when it was on TV, but it was, it was a pretty cool show. Yeah. I, I remember Gargoyles. Um, I, didn't realize that was a Disney show for whatever reason. It, I thought that was a yeah, Warner it Brothers might show, might have been, and then relevant. like maybe Disney bought it. I, I I'm not sure. Uh, I I'd have to go back and look. I, um, but yeah, either way. Uh, and then like the last thing for quick hits was that I saw as of today, it looks like Joker has the potential to reach the one billion worldwide mark uh, as far as earnings. And uh, I, this is, I think, according to, I forget his name, but he's he's been like the person to analyze 
the financial side of the the amount of money that movies gross when when they're released in theaters uh, i guess especially worldwide and he was predicting that it's has a very good chance of earning 1 billion worldwide which i think would be pretty neat yeah that would be really interesting i know i was reading about it this morning and it held up really well in terms of second week box office so it actually didn't experience mm-hmm. as big of a drop off as a lot of people anticipated it actually had a stronger week like percentage wise than a vast majority of like the marvel franchise films and that's that's not me trying to take a cheap shot at marvel that's just like an easy comparison to make since they're both comic book films. It's yes. really interesting that this movie is doing so well because it's R rated. And I think we're kind of past the point of saying mm-hmm. like R rated movies don't sell because mm-hmm. that's not true. I mean like Deadpool made a shitload of money. Logan made a shitload of money. Um, you know, it chapter one made a shitload of money. I don't think chapter yeah. two made as much opening weekend, yeah. but I mean it, it went gangbusters to an extent <laughs> as well. And this one like beat all of those. Yeah, I think one of like the, it's got the, the, biggest the big October things, I, I, I could be wrong, ever. but this is just me, you know, uh, throwing it out there. I, it seems like it might be doing really well or did uh, that it did really well on its second weekend is because of, I guess, the controversy or all the talk behind it, because like there has been so much talk about this movie since like since it was released, you know, before it was released and there's there, it's been for the most part, very polarizing. People either loved it. It's, it's basically a fucking cottage industry of takes sprouting up about this. And it seems like with that people don't, they don't know who to trust. Like, there's just they're getting pulled either way so they have no choice but to go see the movie and make up their own minds and to me that seems like a very uh arguable reason why the the movie would do so well on on its second weekend it's possible i think uh, a large part of this or at least a part of it may be that people are Mm. wanting something different out of like than a typical superhero movie, quote unquote. And I think this definitely delivers that. It's, it's definitely not your run of the mill comic movie in a lot of ways. It's still undoubtedly Mm -hmm. a comic movie. Like I said on the podcast about the movie that we did, but it's definitely not the same as like Shazam was or the DCEU was or or what have you. It's, you know, that's not, that's not a plus Mm -hmm. or minus. That's just a statement of fact. Uh, so that's that's all uh, I think we had for quick hits. You want to cover shit that doesn't suck real quick and uh, sign off this bitch? Sure. Uh, do you want to go first? Yeah, I can go first. So this past Friday, a very well anticipated movie that no one really asked for, but we're all for the most part kind of glad that we got was El Camino, the uh, Jesse Pinkman follow up to the, the ending of Breaking Bad. And if you haven't seen it, uh, don't worry. I'm not going to spoil it for you. All you need to know is that you should definitely fucking watch it because it is amazing. Uh, It burns like a Breaking Bad episode, uh, specifically one of the slower episodes. Like if you recall, maybe like the episode like The Fly uh, or... Uh, I'm trying to think of another good uh, good example, but it's it it just burns very slowly uh, to the point where you're 
you don't, you kind of lose track of time. Uh, like I did. And I was like, Oh my God, is there anything that's going to happen in this movie before it ends? Cause it's only like two hours long. And, but yeah, shit, shit definitely happens. And I, I was just, I was very excited about the idea of this movie. The fact that it was mainly focused on Jesse Pinkman, who is, I, I think for the most part, the, the fan favorite I, I know like you know there's some hardcore walter white fans out there but like they uh i know they they just did a really good job with it and i was i was very happy with the movie in general um so yeah that's that's my shit that doesn't suck el camino right on um i went and saw um ad astra saturday night the brad pitt sci-fi movie that came out of came out about a month ago um, it has gotten, or it had gotten a lot of very divisive mm-hmm. reactions. So a lot of people really loved it. A lot of people really hated it. I heard a lot of different things about how it doesn't really know what kind of movie it wants to be. It's totally kind of all over the place. Um, but I figured, you know, I got Regal Unlimited. Right. I may as well fucking use it. And, uh, so I went and saw it. I personally don't know what movie the people who said it didn't know what it wanted to be. And it was totally all over the place watched because it wasn't the same movie I watched. It very clearly was totally consistent. Um, It's definitely a sci-fi movie. Um, So if you're into that, you'll be into, you know, if you're into sci-fi, you'll probably, probably be into this. It's like um, one part, 2001, one part action. Um, And I know that sounds totally inconsistent, but it, it, it works. Uh, the performances in this are great. Brad Pitt gives his second Oscar-worthy performance of the year, in my opinion, um, as well as supporting cast. Tommy Lee Jones plays his father, and Donald Sutherland is in the movie for about 10 minutes and should be in it for a lot longer. Um, again, that's just my opinion, but I dug it a lot. Like I said, if you're into sci-fi, you'll probably be into this. It's worth seeing on the big screen just because it is such like a, you know, it's, it's a movie about space sure. and see it in the biggest screen you can and the best setup yeah. you can. Um, so I recommend it, especially if you've got, like I said, I use my real unlimited on it. So if you've got that or the AMC a list, I think it's called or something mm-hmm. similar to that. I mean, what do you got to lose really other than a couple hours, but it's, it's definitely very good. Very cool. Beautiful. Yeah. I I'll probably end up checking it out whenever it comes to DVD. Uh, uh, unless I end up, you know, springing for that regal unlimited pass, which, you know, let's face it. I'll, I'll probably end up fucking doing that. <laughs> yeah. It rules. Yeah. It rules hard. Yeah. I actually, uh, back to backed. I did a Brad Pitt double feature, um, I did that, and then I immediately left the theater and went into the theater next door and saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for like the right. third time. And uh, yeah, that's going to be my movie of the year. I don't, I don't. It's like that and John Wick three are, are vying for for which one I liked more, and it's They're, it's a tough one. I'm gonna have to back back those yeah. on DVD and be like, all right, which one of you motherfuckers? Uh, yeah, they're both fucking good. For different reasons, but yes, they're both yeah. awesome. I mean, yeah, very different reasons. But uh, I, I guess one thing uh, we we didn't really talk about in in quick hits, but it was announced uh, here uh, recently was um, I don't know the name of it, but it's it's like a John Wick spinoff. Did you did you hear about that the, the ballet thing? Yeah, so it's um, it's currently yeah. titled Ballerina, and from what I'm gathering of it, it is a John Wick mm-hmm. universe movie or a movie centered in the John Wick universe. And I think it's supposed to be, um, 
based on a character that presumably came up in the Russian um, school, I guess, mm-hmm. that you see in John Wick 3. Um, and she's an assassin. So, I mean, like, I'm anything mm-hmm. that's in the John Wick yeah. universe, I'm in flat out immediately. One of the things I saw a lot of people responding was like, why don't they make more Atomic Blonde movies? Why For don't you shut though. up and let them do both? I mean, I'll, <laughs> I'll go see them all. Right. Like, I'm, I would be... I, I liked Atomic Blonde. I thought it had a lot of problems, but I still liked it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm all for Charlize Theron being a badass, just like I'm all for whoever they cast in this movie being a badass and doing John Wick-like things. Like, just give me all the John Wick movies, put Easy them in a needle, you. and then inject them directly into yeah. my veins. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I will so chase those the, dragons. The, I mean, that's definitely something to look forward to, as well as what seems like more John Wick movies. Uh, which you know we'll keep on going until we die uh keep on going to see until we die so you know yes yes i 100 will um i'm also realistic in that you know keanu reeves is like 54 so i can't imagine he's got too many more of these left in him um but that said i will be um in my preferred theater seat the day that john wick 4 opens uh for god yeah. sure yeah absolutely um, okay, well, I guess that will do it for this episode of Geek Garage Coast of the Movies. Uh, Ted, it was awesome talking about the thing. And yeah, I like I said, I, I definitely am looking forward to re- revisiting this movie here soon. Hopefully I can find it on DVD so I don't have to go rent it again. Um, so yeah, do you want to hit us with that motherfucking sign-off line? Yeah, so do the watch the movies thing. I don't remember it, but do that anyway. <laughs> watch more movies. You mean watch more movies because movies make life better? Sure, that's the thing yes. that I'm supposed to say. Yes, yes, that is the thing, and that's all right. Like that. That's why there's two of us. Is so when I forget things, you typically know what I'm talking about, and then vice versa. Mm. Except, mm. like it's it's more more along the lines of like. I forget shit constantly. And then you smacked me upside the head saying, Hey, this is what we're talking about. I'm like, Oh yeah, I totally forgot because I'm an idiot, <laughs> but you know, yeah. that's, that's just the way it goes. So yeah, that we forgot to do the social media. Eh, we're not on social media. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we're not on anything else. Uh, we'll probably never be on Snapchat because we're too fucking old. And I don't know how TikTok works. I know that's a big thing right now, but we're not on it. Uh, I, I don't know what we would do. We should get a SoundCloud because I think the way it works is that you get on SoundCloud and then you yeah, get a record You know what? Deal. I've heard that several times that like, you know, specifically SoundCloud, you get on there, you send people some links and all of a sudden, boom, you're famous. So I feel like I have a very solid future as a mumble rapper because I can mumble and I uh, like rap. So I feel like those are the right, only two qualifications really. So yeah, we, we will yeah, pursue that yeah. right after this, this episode. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll help you get started. Um, yes. I know nothing about rap and I stumble over my own words, but maybe if mumbling's involved, then I can pull something off. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, but yes, definitely hit us up on all the social media. Yeah. Uh, use like and, use uh, the Google machine and just search for Geek Garage Podcast. You will find us yes. whether you want to or not. Right. Uh, um, we are on all the podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify. We're on YouTube, uh, a bunch of others. Um, 
yeah, I, I think that's that's just about it. Yeah, uh, leave us a like and a review. Um, Please. Not a bad review, though, so we encourage lying. Yes. Definitely lie about it. Say that we're good. Um, come say what's up in Louisville at the Galaxy Con. Yes, definitely. November 22nd through 24th. Um, we'll be the people that look out of place. <laughs> Uh, or maybe severely in place, depending on who we end up seeing there. Uh, That's true. You never never know. Uh, I mean, I will probably be rocking my Spider-Man costume at least a little bit. Uh, So, so yeah, I I mean, I... I I think I too will be in costume. Uh, I'm I'm excited to see what you end up uh, choosing as your costume. I think I'm going to go as the rational consumer. (laughs) (laughs) best no no i'm not going to be in a costume because i'm not 12 uh but do come say what's up it's going to be a fun weekend yeah for sure do the social media thing and then also do the movies watching thing that we talked about so do all those things this is not right do it all now damn it all right we'll uh we'll catch you next time folks thanks for listening all right peace